Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty and I'm your host and also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And today we have an awesome expert interview uh, with Leslie Tain. Hi, Leslie. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, absolutely. And for those of you who don't know who Leslie is, you should Google her name and you will see all of the articles come up. But she is an attorney who specializes in debt. And so today, um, I was hoping we could pick your brain because with everything going on with COVID, I feel like a lot of people are struggling um, financially, and it'd be great to hear um, your your take on you know how to figure out what bills to pay, what happens if you can't pay a bill, what are the ramifications. So what do you, what are you telling people to do? So you're right. During this COVID pandemic, it's really sent the economic environment into a, a tizzy. And a lot of consumers for the first time are really figuring out what's important and what's not important in terms of of spending. In fact, I recently read that um, consumer spending on credit cards was down considerably last month. And obviously in certain areas like travel and, uh, and related areas, the spending is considerably down. So it's now is a really good time to take a look at what's important, what's not, really looking at your budget. Even if you're working and you feel your job is secure and safe and you have money coming in, it's definitely a good time to reevaluate what's going on. So when you're doing that, you really want to know what your options are and working off your, your most the frugal possible budget. So even if, even if you've never budgeted before, and a lot of people haven't before this, and they're telling me, you know, Leslie, I never budgeted before. I never felt like there was a need or I never had the time. I, I didn't understand it. It's math and it really freaks me out. Oh, but- I believe it. Everyone hate when I say the word budget, I feel like I lose people immediately. Oh, you do, because it's like a dirty word in some ways, because it's like, some of it is like a reality check, and other ways it's like, oh, I have to actually sit down and figure Mm -hmm. out numbers, and and there's every excuse under the sun not to do it. But now, with so much time on our hands, and um, so much extra um, concern economically, it's a perfect time to do it. So, the first thing I'm recommending is that you take a look at your budget and look at what's coming in. And that's the first step. What monies are coming in right now? And how long is that money going to come in for? Are you receiving a pandemic unemployment? Are you on regular unemployment? Is your job stable and steady? Are you working overtime or maybe your overtime has been eliminated? Whatever that may be, you have to absolutely take a look at um, the income that's coming in and how long that income will come in for. Okay. So the next step on that and the really what I'm saying to people is when you're looking at what's important and what's not, we used to call them essential and non-essential uh, expenses. And really, it's 
comes down today and what's important and what's not. What can you live with and what can you live without? I mean, obviously, when you're at home and now you're working from home, the kids are home, your life has been turned completely upside down. But that's a time to say, what are you spending money on? So maybe you're not driving as much. So I've had people been able to cut expenses like insurance. So if your car is sitting idle and you're not going anywhere and you have no plans to go anywhere, then turn the insurance off. There's no reason if the car is sitting idle in your garage or your driveway or in a parking spot to pay for um, something that you don't need. So you can call your insurance company and cut that out. Um, maybe you've upped your cable and some of your other um, uh, streaming. You, right, streaming services. And that's okay. And that's those things are really important under the circumstances. And other times, maybe they're not considered as important. But right now, that may be considered essential, and that's okay. So maybe you're spending less on gas, which is fantastic. And you're spending more on food, but less on travel. So you want to take a look at all those categories and, and really understand where um, your expenses are and what you have to pay. So what is a priority in paying your rent, your mortgage, utilities, things like that, car payments. And one of the other pieces of advice that I'm giving out regularly, and I think it's super important, and I did it for my own business, is you need to call your creditors and ask them what opportunities you have with them to save money. And that's not necessarily asking for a forbearance or deferment of the payment, which is different. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is call up your creditors and say, is there, are you offering a reduction in interest rate for me? Maybe you've been a good customer and you've always paid your bills on time, more than the minimum balances. And that accountability and credibility that you've had with your creditor, you can take that and say, hey, I've been a great client so what, or a great customer. What is it that you're offering? And we did that in my business, and we were able to cut out a lot of expenses, reduce some of them offered us things we could never have expected, like a three-month no payment and no no issue. We've had reductions in interest rates. And so we've looked for lots of ways to save money, and now's a good time to do that. Don't be afraid to ask. Go ahead. If you don't don't ask, they're not going to offer it. They're not going to call you up and say, hey, Leslie, you've been a great customer. We'll reduce your interest rate, most likely. I wouldn't count on that, and I agree with you. <laughs> so you, you can't sit back idly under the circumstances and hope that one of your creditors calls up and say, hey, you know what, Leslie, you've been such a great customer for us for the last 20 years. We'd like to offer you an opportunity not to pay your bills. Not going to happen. It simply is unrealistic. So you have to be proactive in helping yourself get a reduction. So, And again, that's not necessarily calling up and saying, hey, and I want to make this a really important point to understand the difference between forbearance, deferment, and asking for a reduction. You're In a forbearance and, and a deferment, you're asking to not make the payment. In a, what I'm suggesting is you're calling up and saying, hey, I can make the payment. I've been a good customer. Can I have a reduction in my interest? What options are you offering? I'll give you another example. So in my commercial space, I, I wrote to my uh, landlord, and you could do this as a... Um, as a residential tenant also in your home. And I said, what are you offering to your commercial clients and customers and tenants for reductions? Now, they said, basically, we're offering nothing. Here's a, here's a link to the PPP and the EIDL for business. But it was still worth the ask. And if you're a consumer and you have a rent payment, 
there's nothing wrong with having an open, honest communication with your landlord and saying, hey, listen, things are okay, or maybe things are not okay. What can you offer me? If things aren't okay, say, listen, you know, I'm waiting for my unemployment to come through. That should be here by mid-month. Would it be okay if I made my payment late without any type of repercussion? I've always made my payments before. Um, and then you're asking for, uh, you're asking for help. If you've always paid your payment and you can continue to pay your payment, there's no reason to be calling your creditors and saying, hey, I have a problem when you don't actually have a problem. You really want to use the opportunity to ask for help when you really need the help. And right, you don't I, want to cry wolf, for example, and say, I can't pay when maybe you can because God forbid down the road, then you really do need the help. You've already kind of utilized that. No doubt. You don't want to be calling up after every single thing happens under the sun. And we can talk about hurricanes and tornadoes and fires. And we can talk about all of these traumatic events that, that create impact negatively to our financial circumstances. You don't want to be calling up every single time and saying, hey, I have a problem. And, or I lost my job or, or something else happened where you need the help. You want to be able to use that as an opportunity when you really need the help. So absolutely, don't cry wolf. But when you're reassessing your budget and you're reassessing your expenses and you're going through the list of expenses, I recommend that you look at your everyday and reoccurring expenses. So reoccurring expenses are things that come up every single month. They could be here on the East Coast, an easy pass, which is, you know, uh, you know a toll paying uh, event, or they could be something, a, a gym membership or anything that's basically reoccurring. You want to look at those right now and say, hey, what do I need? What don't I need? What can I put on hold? What can I cancel? What can I ask for a reduction on? Go through every single line item from your monthly expenses and ask for some sort of some sort of reduction, whether it's an interest rate or deferment in payment, and see what the options are for you. And by reducing those expenses, you'll see that you'll have less outlay of cash, and you'll find that you may be much more cash positive than you think, which leads the way to building an emergency fund and building savings. Now, more than ever, and in fact, the statistics say that it's been the highest rate of savings uh, in a, quite a long time for Americans, is the time to put money away. Now is the time to have a savings account. And with yeah, that, that, rainy, that rainy day fund, I feel like that was, I feel like the two words that no one liked to hear me say were budget and emergency fund. Right, because people are like, yes, I agree, emergency fund, because then it implies that there's going to be some sort of emergency, and nobody wants to think that there'll be some sort of emergency. But think about it. We could never have envisioned or imagined what we're going through right now. It is just insane what we are experiencing. And you are not alone out there in feeling stress, feeling overwhelmed, confused. Listen, this has been an event of all lifetimes. And fortunately, one day we'll be able to turn around and say, do you remember when? And I really look forward to the day when we can have a discussion about, do you remember when we discussed these issues during the COVID pandemic? But right now we're in the middle of it and it's confusing, it's stressful, it's overwhelming. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You can't plan. Life has been really turned upside down. So with that, it's really the best time that you have in your lifetime to take a look 
at refocusing your finances. And I can't stress it even more. When you're looking at an emergency savings or emergency funding and cash in the bank, cash really is king. Cash has to be available to you. Um, there should be at least six to nine months of living expenses in the bank. So if your average living expenses are $10,000 a month, then you're looking at sixty dollars to $90,000 of available cash. And while that might sound like a lot, you really... Um, look at a circumstance like this where there's so much unknown and the time has gone by already so fast. We've been in the middle of this now for three months and, and counting. Um, and if you've lost your job early on or you've been unable to work, or you had to take care of a family member, someone got sick or otherwise, think about, you know, three of those six to nine months is already gone. So right, you could, 50% of it could have already been used. A hundred percent, a hundred percent correct. And that means that the numbers I'm giving you are not that unrealistic. And even if you cut down all your expenses or you're asking for forbearance or deferments and payments, that doesn't change the fact that you still need cash flow. So now's the time to take a look and say, I need a savings. And any savings that you have from cutting things out of your budget that are now no longer necessary are, uh, are an opportunity for you to put money away and build that savings. If you're still working, you can split your paycheck into a separate bank account for more savings and then work your budget off of what you're taking home, excluding the savings amount. If you have little money, don't be uh, don't be embarrassed about the fact that you can only put 5 or 10 or $25 a week away. It's still going to add up at some point. But find a way to save money now. Find a way to hoard your cash. Find a way to put money in the bank. Find a way to have a, a savings account that... Um, has some sort of interest paying on it and reduce those expenses. And yeah, I, think that's I think that's great advice, especially with the emergency fund, because I feel like, you know, some people didn't love that concept of just putting cash away that in their mind wasn't doing anything or was implying there would be some sort of problem in the future. Um, and I think for some people who I know, at least I know a few people that I've talked to who are on unemployment are making more on unemployment than they were with their prior employment with their job. So that's another, I think, great place. If you're taking in more than you were before, that you can definitely then increase your savings and build up an emergency fund. You can, and that's a great way to do that. Another opportunity now is to pay down debt. So not using your credit cards, not using, not trying really not to use them and pay them off is a good opportunity. So if you're, if you are bringing in more money than you normally do for whatever reason, yeah, take a look at what debts that you have, because that's part of the budgeting process. It's not just looking at your income and expenses, but it's also then categorizing the type of expenses that you have from the different types of debts, from mortgage or rent, which is different from student loan, which is different from credit cards and personal loans. Now's not the time to borrow necessarily, but now is the time to pay down debt. You want to reduce expenses under these circumstances and operate at an absolute minimum. You know, you want to be running on low in terms of uh, what expenses are being paid out and really saying, do I need this? Is this an absolute necessity and what can I do um, to pay down my existing debt? And that sort of brings me to a little bit to the student loan stuff that's going on. There's always so much confusion surrounding student loans, and, and, it, and it always will continue to be confusing, unfortunately. Um, it was, was confusing 20 years ago when I had my own student loan debt. And it, yeah, it's so convoluted. Oh, my God, it is. And it really is. It's unfortunate because um, in some ways you have to be a lawyer to be able to understand all the nuances with your student loans. But there are a couple times I'm just going to, 
go through it very briefly because I want to sure. talk about it in terms of you know whether you should pay that or not. Um, so there's two different times types, and one is a federal and one is a private. A private student loan, super simple, is held by a private bank. Federal gets a little more complicated because there's two types. There's a federal that's held by the federal government, and there's a federal loan that's backed by the federal government, and a backed federal loan back federal student loan is really held by a bank, let's say Chase or one, a, a common known bank, let's say, and right. they, you took the loan out through them, even though it's a federal loan, um, but it's um, backed by the federal government, but held by a private student loan. The CARES Act is only covering, and that's the act that's in place for COVID to help mm -hmm. consumers and small businesses. The federal, the student loan piece of that act only applies to federally held not federally back. So, so for instance, would Navient be a private, so the administer as well, right, then is private. So the, um, that's the servicer. So not the only service. the servicer and the, and the backer is the, is the um, U.S. Department of Education. So okay. if you're confused and you have no idea, call up your, um, call up Navient, call up whoever is servicing your loan and ask them, hey, by the way, um, is this a federally backed, federally held? Who owns my loan, essentially? And you should be able to get the answer. That's an automatic um, forbearance, meaning you didn't have to do anything to make that happen. So uh, if you want to make payments, it's a really good time to do so if you're in that position where you have, where you find you have more cash flow because with the suspension of interest, you would only be paying principal, and principal is the balance that's currently owed. So you can reduce the principal really nicely right now, and then when interest kicks back in after September 30th, you'll be paying interest on a lower principal balance, so you'll actually be able to pay it off faster. And that's super great if you have the cash flow. If you don't and you want to take advantage of the opportunity for that forbearance period with no interest and no payments, then do so. Don't feel guilty about it. You can't, you can't. And, and you might find, and I've had clients ask me this too, that now's the time to pay down your higher interest debt. So if you forbear your student loan, you could pay down your credit cards and use this opportunity to pay down your credit cards, which have higher interest rates and maybe um, some some balances that will impact your credit a little bit quicker. So, you know, you want to categorize your debts and you want to start to prioritize what needs to be paid, what should be paid, how to pay them. And I know it can be super confusing, but if you write it out and you go old school with a pencil or a pen on a piece of paper, that's the way to really see who you owe, how much you owe, and um, what you want to prioritize right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely think writing it down, because you have to have that handle on what you have coming in, what do you have going out, and then what your debts are based on interest rates. Because so many people don't do what I'll call an inventory of it. So they know they have a few credit cards. They know they have a handful of student loans because a lot of the student loans are packaged into one payment, right? Even though they're multiple loans. So validated, yes. Yep. And so I think for, I think this is really inspiring because a lot of people with, if they have extra time and they're doing okay with their unemployment or they're still working and working remote, this could be an opportunity where you improve your financial situation. And it is a great opportunity to improve your financial situation. I want to point out that under this layer of dark cloud that we're living under right now, it's a reset button for all of us to take a look at what's happening in our lives. And one of them is the financial piece. It's a great time to get a grip on your finances. And I, I want to say that with a caveat to those who are struggling right now. 
And I do understand that there's a lot of people struggling and wondering where, you know, their next um, paycheck is going to come from. And that's when you're in that circumstance, you really go down to bare bones. You cut everything out with the exception of your most important bills. And when you're asking for help with your most important bills, you want to make sure that you understand the help that you're getting. So let's talk about mortgage forbearance briefly. If you've asked for a bank for a forbearance, meaning that there's no payment uh, for a certain period of time, maybe it's three months or six months, and you actually have a legitimate reason for that, meaning you've been impacted by COVID, you want to ask them what's going to happen at the end of the forbearance period. That's the time frame where um, they say to you, now's the time you have to pay me. So if your mortgage payment was $1,000 a month, hypothetically, I'm going to use that because it's a super easy example, and you uh, had a forbearance for three months, what happens to the $3,000 in month four? Do you owe it right then? Can it be put on the back end of your mortgage? Meaning like if your mortgage is a mortgage of 30, your mortgage is 360 payments. So would that be put on the back end of the 361st payment? Would you um, be able to repay it over a period of 12 or 24 months in the case? And maybe many of you who have mortgages and have seen your taxes change. And when your taxes go up, you have the opportunity through your mortgage company to pay the difference over the course of 12 or 24 months. You want to know that ahead of time. And the reason why you want to know this ahead of time is because you don't want surprises. You don't know, uh, again, in the end of the three months, if you'll be working and what your income situation is. You don't want to be sitting there and the bank says, okay, now you owe me three grand and now you're in month four. So you owe 4,000. And if you miss month four, now they're going to put you into uh, foreclosure. So you really want to be aware of what they're willing to do. And I'm going to caution you that you need to get it in writing. And if they say, no, no, you can take my word for it. We don't send anything in writing. Say, listen, I understand, but I need to have some sort of confirmation in writing so I know what to expect. You don't want to end up like we had in 2008. Many people found themselves in the foreclosure process. Foreclosure happens super fast. And I want to say it is a slippery slope. And your mortgage company could refuse during your during a foreclosure process to take your mortgage payment. So they could reject your payments at some point. And you don't want to be in that position, especially oh, when you equity in your house. Oh my God, it's a terrible situation to be in. And talk about panic and 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 damage to your credit and all the other things that come along with it. It's a slippery slope. So what I caution you ahead of time is about when you're asking for help from any of your creditors, you want to know what kind of help you're getting uh, and what, what it looks like at the end. And definitely ask lots of questions. If you're feeling nervous and uncomfortable, don't agree to anything over the phone the first time you make the call. Say, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate it. I'm taking notes. And I want to give this some thought. I'll call you back. Now, if you have a creditor that then says, you have to make a decision right now or else, you still don't feel pressure. Say, I understand that you want me to make a decision now. I absolutely cannot. I'm going to hang up and I will call you back. And it's okay to hang up the phone. Don't feel pressure to make agreements that you can't keep and that you're not sure you're comfortable with and on numbers that you don't think you can commit to because you're, again, we go back to the credibility that we talked about earlier when asking for help when you never have asked for help before. You don't want to be agreeing to something you can't can't actually do and then get hold. Yeah. Yeah. And then in reality, 
you know, the creditor's not going to believe you. They take notes. Everything that you do with them is is notated. So they're going to know that you agreed to something and then you couldn't do it. So you want to be able to negotiate yourself into a position that you're not only comfortable with, but that's something that you could do. So don't feel pressure. And that's super important to understand that as well. And, and then if they give you, um, let's say the the mortgage company says, yeah, we'll agree to forbear your uh, your mortgage for three months. And then we're going to, let's just say they agree to put it on the back end of the mortgage. That wouldn't impact your credit then, would it? Because it was an agreement. So it wasn't like you didn't pay or were late. Actually, no. I'm going to tell you that that is not actually accurate. So what they say is it's not going to impact your credit score, but that doesn't mean it's not on your credit report. And I can tell you that I just had this in my own practice where somebody was going to close on a property and they own a second property. They called their first property and they said, I'd like a mortgage forbearance because well, it's COVID and I want to jump on the bandwagon. And they, the bank said, okay, sure. No problem. And they said, now this isn't going to impact my new loan. Is it? No, of course not, the bank said. Well, guess what? It did. And as a result, the new bank pulled the loan back and refused to close on the second property until they pulled the mortgage forbearance back. So how did bank number two find out about bank number one request for mortgage forbearance? It's on the credit report. So while it doesn't necessarily impact the score, it's there. And they're talking about putting what they call a pandemic forbearance request onto the credit reports. So that means in the future, even if you uh, paid everything, you did everything you were supposed to, you had an agreement with your bank, it's there for other creditors to see in the future that you asked for help. That's why I said earlier, don't ask for help if you don't need it. You need the credibility going forward with creditors. And if you're in a situation and you need the help, then you ask for it. If you don't need the help, don't, because I'm telling you, it will be there and it will impact you. And at some point, your other creditors will see that. And it may not impact the score or your credit, but your other creditors will see it. And when they see it, they may reduce available credit. They may close some of your lines of credit. And there, there will be implications to it. Don't kid yourself and think that there won't be implications for asking for help. When this is over, remember, these banks need to make money. They're not making money if you don't spend money. And they're not making money by offering you forbearance, deferments, you know, interest-free, no late payments. That's where they make their money. So at some point in a couple of months, they're going to get past the we're willing to help stage you where they have to help themselves again. And all of this will be... Uh, implemented. So there will be some sort of, yeah. So interesting because I feel like everything with finance, it's always in the word, right? And you have to know to say, most people would say, would it impact my credit score? Because that's what people think is the most important. And you wouldn't have known had you not said this, but you would have to ask like, is it on my credit report as well to have gotten the full answer? And that goes back to my point about not understanding student loans because you need to be a lawyer to understand this. I'm a credit and debt expert and I still sometimes have to read these things two or three times to say, are they saying what? Because nuances in the words. So you're gonna ask the question, is it gonna impact my credit? And they say, of course not. But they may be referring to your credit score and you may be referring to your credit report and you're both not being, you know, it's not clear enough. So that's why I often, well, I'm a, a trained attorney. So I often will ask the question two, three or four different ways in order to make sure that I have the information correct. And I'm not quick 
to make a decision, I want to sit and think and allow myself to understand the programs because many of these programs are changing. Every day, let's look at the PPP or the EIDL. The PPP program has changed so many times, uh, they might as well change the name. It's that it's just, it's changed from the day it was, it was discussed to today. Every day there's something new that comes out. There's now there's lawsuits, there's bills introduced, there's all kinds of things. And that's happening all around right now. So that's why in some ways I look at it like stop, think, help yourself, and then ask your creditors for help, depending on the help that you feel you need. Going into a creditor blindly and saying, hey, I want to jump on this COVID bandwagon because I know you're offering help and, um, and I need the help too. What help do you need? Ask yourself. You right. don't know what help you need unless you've gone through your budget and unless you know what your income is and what your expenses are and what your ability to pay short and long term is. How are you going to manage this summer if there's no camp and there's no school and you have to go back to work because now they've opened things up and what are you going to do about childcare? So those are expenses maybe you didn't have the last three months, but now you're going to have to have because your normal child care, which is somewhat free in school, is no longer available. So you have to have an understanding of how to help yourself before you go to a creditor and ask for help. Right, because there's those longstanding. And so that would probably apply for you know, any creditor, whether that's a rent or credit card or anything, it can end up on your credit report. Anything can end up, a creditor can report on your credit report. So when you're looking at your, and now's a good time to do that too, and I want to I say that that's part of being healthy financially, is mm-hmm. taking a regular look at your credit report. And that's definitely not something to be scared of because it's super easy to read. And credit monitoring is really important as well because having an understanding of exactly what's on your credit report, who your creditors are, what they're reporting is important because you can then stop a problem early on by being aware of it. And there's lots of free credit monitoring programs, annualcreditreport.com. You're entitled to a free credit report every year. You should get that. I usually recommend doing it on, on uh, Halloween because it's scary. But, <laughs> but That's a great recommendation. So that's a good time to remember to do it. But now is the time while you're home. There's so many tutorials on YouTube that you could – to help you read your credit report. Um, you don't have to pay for a credit report at all. Um, understanding the differences between the scores, what's a FICO score versus a regular credit score, usually those things are uh, slightly different from each other and there's a couple of reasons why. But understanding your score and what you need to do to bring your score up to manage your credit effectively. And that goes along with the budgeting because while I'm recommending that people do more budgeting now than ever, uh, and as things change, especially if you own a business, you're doing budgeting, you should be doing budgeting every week at this point. But if your personal finances, you should be doing it a couple times a month as things change and new bills come in. Um, But when you're looking at your credit, it is something to look at on a regular basis. And I strongly recommend credit monitoring Credit monitoring you sometimes have to pay for, but it's definitely worth it because anytime your credit is checked, you will receive a notification that a a potential lender has looked at your credit, and you'll know whether you did that or not. And with the amount of scams that are out there and the amount of opportunities to lift your credit information and, um, and take advantage of consumers, now is really the time to be aware of what's on your credit report, how to read it, how to improve it, 
and uh, what you can do to safeguard your personal finances going forward. Nobody's safe, just so you're aware. I know that sounds kind of cynical, but you're absolutely well, everything Everything's out on the internet, even for people, you know, because I have a traditional wealth management firm and so we have older clients and some of them are very against the internet. But just because you haven't put your information out there doesn't mean a vendor or servicer hasn't had your information. It's out so there. Don't there get Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it's important to monitor your credit, check your credit report. And as you said, this is with a lot of people being home and not being able to travel or go out to restaurants. This is a great time. You know, I see a lot of people online, you know, cleaning out closets and doing house projects. So this is a great time, you know, to to get your credit report, go through it, understand it and do your budgeting and come up with, you know, a reset, as you said, on your personal finances. Totally. And you're, and honestly, your credit report is like a closet. So it's, yeah, exactly. it's a, it's, it's a closet in your life. It just isn't physical. Like you can't touch it, but it's, it is a closet. So open it up, see what's inside, clean it out, take a look at it, understand, understand it and be, and say to yourself, Oh, I didn't know this was still here. I thought I closed this account. I thought I paid this off. I never had a discover card. And how did this come up? And why is this still showing that there's a balance when I paid it off? Those are the things that you want to know. It's like, it is looking through a closet. It's your financial closet and you want to understand yeah, it. And you want to clean it out. And I probably shouldn't admit this. So when I was in college, I didn't understand that every time you opened a credit card, that it went on your credit report. Cause you know, I was like 19. Um, and so I was at a football game and this is I know 50 year olds who don't understand that. What? The <laughs> 50 year olds who don't understand that. It's not an age thing. Don't beat right. yourself up. And so I was at a football game, and this is before they passed, or maybe it was 18. This is, they remember they passed some more um, rules in, around opening credit cards. But anyway, I was in college, and they used to promote at college campuses of opening credit cards. And if every credit card you opened, um, you got a, a, a blanket, and it was a freezing cold. So I went around booth to booth and opened three different credit cards and got three blankets and was like, felt like I really won because it was like freezing out, and now I had three blankets. And cause like, you know, you had to get approved and apparently I had a good enough credit to get approved for three credit cards a day. And then when I figured out, you know, learned what a credit report was and credit score and I went and pulled it up, I had all of these banks from Pennsylvania where I went to college, where I opened these credit cards and, and then go through and close them. Well, back in the day, you know, when we, when I was in college, you could do that because you'd got a bottle of soda or something like that, that you definitely yeah. felt like you needed when you were in college. They, they can't do that to college students anymore, where they would set up tables around campus and they'd be like, and get a free bottle of soda. And you're like, gee, I'm really thirsty. And now I don't have to buy one. I just sign up for a credit card and then I could buy soda with my credit card. So they can't really do that so much anymore, but there are opportunities to gain credit that, um, you know, and to impact your credit that you're not aware of. And I don't expect everybody to understand credit the way, obviously, the way I do. Uh, and, and it's really not something that people do on a daily basis. And that's why it's so confusing and it doesn't feel comfortable because it's not something that you, you hear the words now more often. People are much more open these days, and I love that, to talking about their um, finances, their experiences with their finances and the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's wonderful. But and you hear the terms like you hear budget, credit report, forbearance, uh, deferment. You hear all these things. But do you really understand what that means? And not only what it means, but what how it impacts you.
And when you understand, you know, it's like learning who you, you are and you're, you're on a, a journey to learn who you are for yourself, then one of the things you should learn about is the financial part of yourself. And while that may not be uh, internal or spiritual, it does definitely impact your energy. And if you could find a way to come to have a, a peaceful existence with your budget, with money and with finances. And I'll tell you, I look at money and bills very differently than, than most people. I actually get super excited about paying my bills. I really look forward to it because I get excited about checking it off on my, um, on my paper notations where I actually, I still do a little old school too, because I keep all of my bills still on a, um, on a desk calendar. So I know exactly when my bills are due. I can visualize it in my head and I get excited about paying my bills because not only did somebody offer me credit and thought enough about me to give me a line of credit for something like my house, but I benefit from it. I love my car. I love my house. I pay for my children to go to college. And these things are all wonderful things that improve my life. I too had student loan debt. And while it was overbearing and really, I'm going to say obnoxious for a long time and really did impact my life not in a positive way. The reality was one day I was able to pay everything off and I love my career. I love credit and debt and <laughs> I love talking about it. So it's really benefited me. So I really look at money and debt and bills in a totally different way. And if you could kind of look at it as something that helps you, not hurts you, that positively impacts your life, that makes a difference for you, you'll have a different relationship with money and you'll be able to um, really love it. And that's why I, I wrote a book called Life and Debt, learning to, love your, um, learning to Love Your Finances is really the theme and really coming to grips with it and having a, a happy relationship with your bills and your debts and budgeting and all these terms because you will be able to live, in, especially in this country, and other countries are very different, but in this country, it's built on credit, it's built on credibility, it's built on um, managing money efficiently and effectively, and you will be successful and you will be happy and peaceful if you can come to grips with all of these pieces of the puzzle financially. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Money is a tool to kind of create um, the, the life that you want, and as long as you understand how it works, um, it can be a very positive relationship. And so I you. Works yeah. individually because Barb, whatever works, what works for you doesn't necessarily work for me, and what works for me may not work for you. You know, we we live, uh, you know, we're friends and we know each other, we respect each other, and I respect your opinion and you respect mine. But um, what I do with my money may be very different than what you do with yours, even though we may have similar goals. And and Absolutely. I say that because. Uh, I often get people tell me, well, I heard my neighbor and I heard this person and this yep. person did that and they, well, they were able to get their mortgage company to do X, Y, and Z. I, I don't, it's, it's great to get other people's opinions and see what other people are doing, but it has to work for you and your goals and your lifestyle and your values with money. Absolutely. Yeah. My dad used to always say it has to fit you like a well-tailored jacket. So just because the jacket fits me, isn't going to fit you, isn't going to fit your neighbor, isn't going to even fit maybe your sister or brother. So you have to, you have to tailor it to fit your, your life, as you said. Yeah. So, and there's no judgment, you know, from my perspective, right. I mean, I help people with debt and financial problems all the time. I am 
not judgmental. I feel like I'm the debt doctor. You know, I don't, there's no judgment at all. People come and they're like, I'm really embarrassed. You know, I've always paid my bills, but I, I'm having trouble or I, I can't believe I'm in this position. It's okay. It's really okay. I, I, yeah, that's, that's so funny. I always tell, always tell people too, I'm like, it's a no judgment zone. Cause I, you never would go to the doctor and be like, God, I feel so awful that I got sick. You know, I've never been sick. And, but some, for some reason with finances, people, yeah, I feel like there can be. Cause it's an old school thought process. I have to say, you know, think about, you know, generations, they didn't talk about a lot of, this wasn't an open and available topic. You and I are talking so openly about this. I think other generations would be appalled at even some of the discussions that we have. I mean, it's like getting naked with debt and, you know, it's not a, a, a discussion that you traditionally would have with your employees. Because even today, we would talk about employees being open and honest with them about what's happening with your business during this pandemic and what you're doing to uh, to help your business so that you can keep your employees. It's same thing with families and having open discussions about it. I mean, you want certainly want age-appropriate discussions with young children, but, you know, the discussion about money and finances and budgeting and how things are being paid was not something that was a regular dinnertime conversation. And yet today, it's, it is, and, and I'm so excited that we've evolved to a place where we could talk about these things because in order to be successful, in order to be uh, comfortable in life, understanding not only your personal goals but your financial goals and what that means overall and under and understanding it again you know it's sort of a strange i guess analogy but it's the same thing with understanding your body and understanding sex and understanding uh health you want to be open because the more open you are about your finances the more you're going to learn and be receptive to finding people like you and me who are um invaluable to helping those who want to get to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was an amazing chat, Leslie. I appreciate all your insight. Oh, this was so terrific. I I really enjoyed it so much. And for all of our lovely listeners, you can find out more about Leslie and her company at tainlaw.com. You can also subscribe to their monthly newsletter on the website, and they send out the latest financial news and tips to help you better, better manage your money. You can find Leslie on Twitter and LinkedIn at Leslie Tain. ESQ for Esquire. And you can also find Tain Law Group on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tain Law Group, which we will link in the show notes. Additionally, which I think this is a great offer, they have a no obligation hotline that you can call if you're having financial struggles uh, because of COVID. And that number is 866-890-7337 for a no obligation phone consultation. And as always, you can check us out at Planancial, um, www.planancial.com for our online free classes in uh, collaboration with SUNY Ulster. And please, as always, follow us on Instagram and give us a shout out. Any questions or anything you'd like to hear from us during this stressful time, uh, we would like to help. So send us a, a DM or a message and we'll get back to you. Thanks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.